Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. I want to ask you to turn to Mark chapter 3. We're going to finish up chapter 3 this morning. Uh, Again, looking at the straight way, that is what Mark uh, refers, he uses that word a lot. He refers to Christ sometimes, sometimes just talking about how fast things happen in this gospel from one situation to the next. But uh, here's the question this morning, it's this, what will you do with Jesus? In this passage this morning, we see Jesus's interactions with two different groups of people, those who receive him as well as those who reject him. That uh, call to follow Jesus Christ, the call to the straight way, is one that is um, given throughout this gospel. As Jesus, really his singular message that he's had so far in the two chapters that have led us up here, Jesus' call was this, repent and believe, come to faith in, in me. Uh, and in that, in that implied question, what will you do with Jesus? Um, there's a question, that's a question for every single human being that's ever lived here on this earth. It's a question for you today. It's a question Jesus asks in this text as we read it uh, here in a minute. What will you do with Jesus? Let's read uh, Mark 3, starting in verse 13. It says, And he, Jesus, goeth up into a mountain, calleth unto him whom he would. And they came to him, and he ordained twelve, that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. And Simon, he surnamed Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, and he surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder, and Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, And they went into a house, and the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. And the scribes, which came down from Jerusalem, said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of devils casteth he out devils. And he came, and he called them unto him, and said unto them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? And if a kingdom be divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. If Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand, but has an end. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. And verily I say unto you, all sin shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies, wherewithsoever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation, because they said he hath an unclean spirit. There came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent unto him, and calling him. And the multitude sat about him, and they said unto him, Behold, my mother and thy brethren without seek for thee. And he answered them, saying, Who is my mother? 
or who's my brethren? And he looked round about on them which sat about him, and he said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of God, the same as my brother and my sister and my mother. Before we study this, let's pray once more. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word this morning, I pray your Holy Spirit would show us the truth that's here. Thank you so much for giving us the Gospels. Four different accounts that tell us about the gospel, the repent and believe that Jesus died uh, to save sinners, um, the call to follow Jesus. I pray, Lord, if there's one watching today on our live stream, or there might be one here who's never received Jesus, who might never even heard the call to follow Jesus, I pray that would happen this morning. For those of us who have, Lord, I pray that we would live continually in following Jesus that um, we would always keep this question before us, what will you do with Jesus? I pray that be something we can answer every day in the positive, that we've received him, and that we're trying to reproduce and get others to receive him, and that we're following him. God, make that so this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, call to receive. That's what Jesus has been given out in verses 13 to 21. Uh, we're going to see Jesus' disciples, those who said yes, what will you do with Jesus? I'm going to receive him as Savior. I'm going to follow him. Here's Jesus' disciples. We've met like four of them already, right? Um, Peter and his brother Andrew, James and John, and we're getting introduced to the rest of them here this morning. But Jesus had many disciples. It wasn't just those 12. And back in um, chapter 2, verse 19, he calls Matthew. Remember the publican, the tax collector? And then Matthew went and called his friends. He said, y'all need to come to meet Jesus. And they, a bunch of them decided to follow him. A bunch of people got saved that day. So there's many disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. Today, we're looking at where he's going to um, give uh, 12 of them a special, uh, a special uh, ministry, a special mission. But here, here's the question. Who is this call to? What will you do with Jesus? Will you receive him? Who is that for? We only need to look at the very last verse of this passage, verse 35. For whosoever uh, shall do the will of God. The same as my brother and my sister and my mother. The same uh, receives Jesus Christ as Savior. Isn't that a blessed truth that whosoever, that's who Jesus is calling? Whosoever. What, a, what, a, what an important thing that we need to remember as we interact with people every day. Seeing that they're not just people. These are souls that are going to spend eternity somewhere. Whosoever uh, will do the will. So this is who the call is to. In Revelation 22, one of the last chapters in the Bible, it says, Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty? When come. Whosoever will drink of the water of life freely. That's who this is for. Um, in Revelation 7, we see that. We get a glimpse into heaven. And this is a beautiful picture there. People from every tribe and nation and tongue and kindred. And that's what heaven's composed of. That's what the church is composed of. The church here in America, the church throughout the world, composed of, of many different people. And we can see that even in Jesus' disciples. I think we see that in our, our church as well. But we see that even in his disciples. Let's look at his disciples here. Verse 14. He ordained 12 um, that they should be with him, that they might send them forth to preach, and power to heal sicknesses, to cast out devils. All right, 16. Here we get an introduction. We get the list, right? Simon, he surnamed Peter. He gave him a different name. Uh, and James, the son of Zebedee. And John, the brother of James. And he gave them nicknames too. He calls them Boan or just nobody wants that nickname, right? But what it meant is sons of thunder, which uh, I think they were passionate, passionate people. Any passionate people here? I see some of you, and I know you are, right? These are the kind that everybody's got friends like this anyway, and you always got to tell them to take it down a notch, all right? Is that all? James and John. Andrew was 
uh, Simon's brother. So we've seen these four. These are the fishermen he called already. But now he gives us on the list. Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, that's a tax collector, Levi, we had already uh, heard about. Uh, Tom, uh, and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, different James. And Thaddeus, that's a, like a Greek spelling of Judas, but not Judas Iscariot. So there's another Judas here. And he's the son of James. And then Simon the Canaanite. And I don't think it's so much that he was like a, he wasn't Jewish. He was a Canaanite. It was, um, it means zealot in Aramaic. So he's either in a political group that was called the zealots. And they were a little crazy, very passionate people too. Or he was just passionate like James and, and John. So this is his list. And then Judas. Every time we see it, Peter's always first and Judas is always last whenever we see lists like this. A broad demographic, isn't it? A lot of different people there. If you, if, if God, uh, you know, if, if you were Jesus and God had you choose some people, is this who you would come up with? My four fishermen? Probably not well educated. Um, four fishermen. A tax collector, we've already seen him and what people thought of him. Matthew and Levi. We know Judas in hindsight. People, people from every walk of life, blue collar, uh, Galilee, these four fishermen, pretty country people, right? And this is what the church is composed of as well, isn't it? We got some people from Fayetteville area, even here. Um, you got Dublin people. You got people from the wrong side of the river, like me. And Samantha, I see you back there. So a lot of faithful from uh, all over. People from different walks of life, right? Um, People, well, I'm not even from there. Y'all still love me, and I'm from way up north, right? <laughs> well, broad demographic is, is what we've got here. God knew 12. He chose 12, just like the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, he's, I think he did that on purpose, chose 12 specifically, because he he's trying to say, I'm doing a new thing here. This is new, a new family. We'll get to that family part in just a minute. All these men, uh, they had received Jesus Christ. They had received his message of repent and believe. They received to call to follow him and to reproduce. And this is a call and a commission uh, for every believer. We're going to find that out when he says um, he wants that he called them to be with him, that they might be sent forth and preach. Look, the great commission is for every single person in this room. If you've received Jesus Christ as Savior, that's his design for you is to go and tell others. Now, these guys, they have a little different, so like another level. So Daniel, myself, Tommy, Pastor Walter, uh, missionaries that we have come here on Wednesday night might be devoting their lives. God's called them to full time. That's kind of what he's doing here with these 12. But that doesn't mean everybody else doesn't have to uh, do the same thing. No, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, we have that great commission. And this is, this is it. If you've received Jesus Christ as Savior, you have been called to reproduce. New receivers, new believers. And it's a wonderful thing. I can't think of anything that's more joyful than to be involved in that. To see someone come to Christ uh, because you shared that message or you had some part in that. Now, it's wonderful, it's joyful, but it's not always easy. It can be difficult. And if we look at verse 14, the second part of verse 14 there, yes, he called them to go and set, uh, sent them out to preach, but I want you to notice if we're going to have any joy or any power in, in our doing that, um, we have to do it Jesus' way. What does he say before he calls them to go out and preach? What does he say he wants to do? That they should be with him. That they should be with him. For the next three years, these guys, these 12 men, they ate with Jesus, they walked with Jesus, they talked with Jesus, they spent every moment with him, waking and not waking. <laughs> they were there with him three years and um, never left his side. And you and I, as followers of Jesus, we ought not to expect to have joy or any kind of power, honestly, in our call to reproduce if we don't do the very same thing. 
Jesus said, I want you to be with me. Then, then, in that power, the power that comes from that, then go out. There's a power that comes when you're with Jesus. Um, when you're in his presence, when you're in proximity to him, not just on Sunday morning, on every day of the week, there's a power. I'm going to show you one little example. It came to mind um, this week as I was studying this. Uh, when I first moved down here, and, and uh, well, actually when I first came to Dublin, I used to get my hair cut in Fayetteville because I was in the Army, and they did a good job. Korean barbershop and yeah, I was just used to it, right? But I was like, why am I driving way in there? There's plenty of barbers around here. And so I went to quite a few, right? One of them's here. Uh, hey, Angela. <laughs> right? But I went there. And this is not about Angela's place, right? Um, but when I would go into barbershop sometimes, um, they, people were talking. And I was sitting there and they're like, so where are you from? You're new here and things like that. And I would tell them, and I'm the youth pastor at Dublin First Baptist. You ought to see the tone of that barbershop conversation change. Words that were being said a minute earlier, no longer being said. Why? I'm not Jesus, right? But even a Christian, I think there's a presence there. I hope, I hope there's a presence of Jesus there. That's how it should be. You know, you might have friends like that. You're out fishing with them. I'm glad you're out fishing with them. Keep, keep interacting with them. But they, they ought to maybe act a little different when they're around you because the presence of Jesus is there. And the power that you're going to have is because of the presence of Jesus. And you being in proximity, like Jesus said here, that they should be with him. That is the essential part. Um, you might have received Christ. But if there's a lack of reproducing your life, is it possible? It's just because there's also a lack of you being close to him. What does it mean to be with him? Well, it means listening to him. How do we listen to him? This is how he talks to you. It's not this and. I mean, church, this is, this is how he talks to you today. He's not going to, I would love it if he talked to me and he just told me things, but this, this is the way he talks to you. So if you want to listen to God and be close to him, you've got to be here. Um, what about talking to him? Yeah, that's what it means to be with him. That's what these guys did. They walked with him and talked with him and listened to him. And we, we've got to do that as well. That's how we are with him. This, what you all are here this morning, this is how we're with him. And we're with him together as a, as a family. Um, Dwight Moody said this, an evangelist and founder of Moody Bible Institute. But he said, people give out all the time their opinions and theories. Do you find that true today? Have you scrolled lately? <laughs> See a lot of opinions and theories, right? But opinions and theories, they're not going to change anything. Do you want to change things? The Word of God, the Holy Spirit of God. This is what changes things. It's okay to have opinions and theories. They better be from here. They ought to be backed up by here. But this, this is what's going to change. You'll, you can argue until you're blue in the face with someone. But if they don't have an objective standard of truth, it's pointless. You're wasting your time. Give them the objective standard of truth. Give them what can transform their lives. It transformed yours, didn't it? It did. The Holy Spirit used it. All right, so th this is how we, we uh, are in proximity to his power and his presence. We walk with him, we talk with him, we're reading, we're, we're talking to him, and then we're giving out the thing that can actually help them, the thing that is powerful. That's what they did when they went forth. They used God's word. Um, St. Francis of Assisi, it's a funny name, but he said a quote, and it's kind of good, right? You might have heard it. Um, Preach the gospel constantly. When necessary, use words. I know what he means, and it's a good point, because I think he's trying to say your walk needs to match your talk, but at the same time, I think we can get that goofed up, and a lot of times, I think we do get that goofed up, and here's the thing, what changes people? The word. He's, Dr. Legan Duncan said about that, 
quote, he said, it's kind of dumb. It's like saying, eat till you're filled when, when necessary, use food. Doesn't make any sense. This is what you got to give people. Yes, what you do, how you act ought to back this up. Just like Jesus, his miracles were there to reinforce his message. And your works ought to reinforce your words. But if you don't give them the word, there's nothing that's going to help them in life. Nothing. We got this. We've got, that's what Jesus tells them. He, he says, uh, I, I ordain you and I call you to be with me, verse 14, that he might send them forth to preach. And we already looked at, at this list of, of men he, he used. So glad for it. Verse 20, and the multitude cometh together again. Here we got a transition. He's up on the mountaintop doing this. Now he's going down to a meal. They go in probably to the same house there, Peter's house, and they're going to eat. They're probably Baptists because they ate right after worship, right? And so they go down there and they're going to eat, but they can't even eat. They can't because the crowd is coming. This was Jesus' life. Honestly, if this sounds familiar, it's what we've seen the last two or three weeks. They couldn't even eat a meal because people were coming to him. Why? I'm guessing, like it said last week, probably for reasons they wanted him to fix their temporal problems, heal their diseases. Didn't really care so much about his message. Wanted what he could do for them here and now. And then leave me alone, Jesus. I'll take what I, part I like of you, Jesus. I don't want all, I don't want all of you, Jesus. Now, that's what they were doing. And look at what happens in verse 21. It says, and when his friends heard of it, friends is uh, actually means those near him. And it's probably talking about his family, like his brothers, Jesus' brothers. Right? And when his friends heard of it, that he's being swarmed again once more, they went out to lay hold of him. It's a really strong word. It means they went to arrest him, <laughs> kidnap him. Um, for they said, he is beside himself. He's a little crazy. All right, Jesus, we've seen, I mean, it's been a little much. You've, you've done miracles. You're casting out demons, but you're saying you're God. You're saying you're the son of God. You're saying the promised Messiah and his brothers here, probably Jude and James, which praise the Lord. They didn't stay that way in unbelief, did they? Because they wrote back here. There's something that happened in their life. I'm guessing the resurrection, because at this point they don't believe. But when you see your brother beat up to a bloody pulp and then crucified on a cross and then be put in a tube and then three days later he's walking around for 40 days, that can affect your understanding of whether or not he's, what he said was true. But right now that's not what they see. They say he's crazy. We need to have an intervention. That's what they have here. We need to have him committed and we got a little break between this interaction and what it culminates here in verse 31. But this is, this is what I want us to, to see there. What his family thought of him. What will you do with Jesus? Well, the disciples received him. What about his own family, though? What, did they, what do you do with Jesus? C.S. Lewis said this. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said. Um, he would not just be a great moral teacher. A lot of people answer this question. Well, yeah, I th- I think he's a good man. He did good things. We can learn a lot from him. That's what they'll do with Jesus, and they leave it there. But that's what he says. A man who said the things that Jesus said would not just be a great moral teacher. He'd either be a lunatic. That's what Jesus' family thought. A lunatic on the level of a man who says he's a poached egg, or else he'll be the devil of hell. That's what the Pharisees are going to say. He's a liar. What will you do with Jesus? And C.S. Lewis said this. He's either Lord, or he's a lunatic, or he's a liar. You got to pick one. Those are the three options. Look at the consequences of rejection now. Verses 22 to 30. This is what the Pharisees decide to do with Jesus. It says the scribes, um, uh, the scribes which came down from Jerusalem. So these aren't the same guys that have been dealing with him and he's been fighting with. These are guys sent from the top 
people in Jerusalem, the temple, the high priest, they're like, we got to fix this. This guy's getting really popular. People are swarming him. People are starting to follow him and not come to temple. They're not paying as much in the tithe bin. I don't know. We got to do something. We got to spin. We got to spin this. We need to fix it. And so they send this delegation down. And what do they do with Jesus? Look at verse 22. You want to know why he's doing miracles? How does he do it? He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of devils casteth out devils. Beelzebub was a, a name for one of the idols in Canaan, um, one of the pagan gods back then. And they're saying, he's all these casting out demons, he's doing that because Satan gives him that power. He's satanic. He's a Satan worshiper, and that's where his power comes from. Does that make a whole lot of sense? No, because that's what Jesus says. So Jesus responds here. First of all, uh, he responds in a couple of parables, not like the earthly stories with the heavenly meaning. We'll get there next week, the sower, things like that. This is just parables in the sense of like Proverbs that were really uh, common in that day. And first of all, uh, he speaks unto them. He says, how can Satan cast out Satan? That doesn't make any sense. Why would he do that? If a kingdom be divided against itself, verse 24, the kingdom cannot stand. Have we ever experienced that in this country? About 160 years ago, right? We had a civil war. Not a good time. Kind of experiencing that today a little bit? A little bit. Is it a peaceful time? Is it a wonderful time? Is it a blessed time in our nation right now? No. A kingdom that's divided against itself cannot stand. It won't stand for long. Then it goes down a step. What about a house? Verse 25. You ever been in a house that's divided against itself? And I don't mean you people who like NC State and UNC, right? I'm talking about turmoil in a home. He grew up in a rough home. Mom and dad didn't get along. There was fighting. It was rough. It's, it's difficult, isn't it? He can't stand. He can't stand. He goes down one step so more. If Satan rise up against himself and be divided, he cannot stand but half an end. This is illogical. This is the best you can come up with? You guys were sent here to tell these people who's empowering me and why I'm not the way to go, why you all shouldn't follow me, and this is what you come up with? It's a crazy lie, isn't it? It's a crazy lie. It's illogical, but lies don't have to make sense. They can be illogical. Uh, we find that even in Adolf Hitler wrote a book, Mein Kampf, and his chief propaganda officer, Joseph Goebbels, uh, repeated this. If you tell a lie big enough and you repeat it often enough, eventually you can get people to believe it. And that's what they did. See, what they did here, what they did here, this isn't just verse 22. They come down and say, yep, he does it by Satan. The, the word said in verse 22 is imperfect tense, meaning they were continuously going around doing this. Every village, every time they said, well, what do you think about Jesus? So they got an interview with local media. What do you think about Jesus? How is he doing this? Satan, he's satanic. He's a Satanist. It was continual. They kept on doing this. Sad to see that's the best they could come up with. This world is in such a grip of Satan. Even here, and we see it today, that people would rather be, believe a lie than they would the truth. Why? I mean, they choose to believe lies. It's not just ignorance. They willfully choose to believe it. Why? Because of who, the truth holds them accountable. It means, means you're bad. It means you're a sinner. It means you've got to answer to God. And if you don't turn to Jesus, then we're going to find out what you have to deal with there See, that's what these guys did. They rejected. 
What do you do with Jesus? Pharisees rejected him. Even beyond that, they reviled the Savior. And when you do that, there remains nothing left for you than remaining in sin. Verses 28 to 30, these three verses are like some of the most disputed. I don't know why. People get all up in arms about them. I get asked about it a lot, and I can understand why as far as that goes, because it talks about the unforgivable sin, which nobody wants to commit, right? Because God's grace is great. Let's look at this. What is the unforgivable sin? It's really clear here. I don't know why we make it into uh, such a hard thing to, to figure out. Jesus says in verse 28, Verily I say unto you, all sins shall be forgiven from the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewithsoever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but it's in danger of eternal damnation. So it's really clear there. Specifically, it's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to pause there. Why do we focus on the negative all the time? What did he say in verse 28? Grab a hold of that. All sins shall be forgiven the sons of men. What do you got in your life? It's not outside of God's grace. All sins shall be forgiven the sons of men. Even blasphemies wherewith they blaspheme. With this one exception, he that blasphemes the Holy Ghost. Um, he doesn't have forgiveness. He's in danger. He's in danger. It doesn't say he's eternally condemned. It says he's in danger of eternal condemnation. So what is that? Blaspheming the Holy Ghost. It's attributing the person and works of God to the power of the devil. That's what it is. It's saying what the Pharisees said. And not just once, but repeatedly. It's saying that it's, it's really, it comes on, on a very specific level. That's what it is. On a much more broad or general level, it's rejecting God. That's what it is. Rejecting Jesus Christ. Um, that's why he says you're in danger of it. Are you still breathing? People ask me, have I, have I committed the unforgivable sin? If your heart is beating and you're talking to me and you ask me that question, not no. You have not yet <laughs> because there's still time for you to turn. He says you're in danger of eternal condemnation or remaining in your sin literally is what it means. You're in danger of remaining in your sins. This is why it's so dangerous and so damning. He says there, verse, um, verse 29, you don't have forgiveness, but you're in danger of eternal damnation when you reject Jesus. He's talking specifically here about the Holy Spirit. God has come, revealed himself uh, throughout the pages from Genesis uh, all the way here to Mark so far. And God the Father has revealed himself. And then, then he sends Jesus. And then the Holy Ghost is doing miracles. Jesus is praying and the, the, the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ is working these miracles. He sent three, three different manifestations of himself. And these guys reject and reject and reject. And what happens when you reject God's grace? What do you have left? The wrath. The wrath that is due you and me. What I deserve for my sins. That's what happens. What will you do with Jesus? When you reject him. When you don't receive his grace. I think what he's saying here is it causes a hardening in heart. That look, it, the longer you keep going that way. Mm, God's grace is powerful. The blood of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to do, to do it. If you're breathing, you still have a chance. If you're hearing this this morning, you still have a chance. But without God's grace, what are we left with? We're left with God's wrath. And it's so crazy because it doesn't need to be. Look what he's done. God provided this way. God came down for you and I. Why would we reject it? Why wouldn't we receive it? We remain in our sin if we reject it forever. No hope. That's the consequences of rejection. I want to finish up by looking at the comfort of relationship. Verses 31 to 35, the comfort of relationship. There came then his brethren and his mother and standing without. See, we're back to things where it picks up from verse 21. 
And his, his brother and his mother come, right? Tell him, hey, can we get, we need to talk to him. And the multitude sat about him. They said unto Jesus, behold, your mother and your brethren without seek for thee. And what does Jesus say? Who is my mother and my brethren? Let me tell you what Jesus is not doing here. He's not showing dishonor. He's not breaking or, or eliminating the sixth commandment. Honor your father and mother. The first commandment with promise that your days may be long uh, in this world. He's not reducing the value of family. In effect, and we're going to see it's just the opposite is what he's doing. When he answers their question with a question, who is my mother or my brethren? And he looks around about at all those people who had decided to follow him, who decided to receive him. And he says, it's you. This right here is my mother and my sister and my brother. He widens their perspective, and I hope he's widening ours, uh, our perspective as well. I love my family. I praise God for the family I grew up in, but I praise God for this family and the families I've had as God's moved me to different churches throughout my life. They've been a family. They have, especially since mine are 12 12 driving hours away. Y'all are my family, and I'm thankful for that. I can lean on you. This is the, what Jesus says. He brings you into this new family, a widened perspective. And it's a wonderful position. It is that. One of the most precious doctrines to me is justification. I love it so much. I found a sticker that has the Greek word for it. I put it on the back of my car. A lot of you ask me that. What is that? Most people think it's like something from Lord of the Rings or something. I'm like, no, it's Greek. It's, it means justified. I cannot believe it. It's such an amazing thing. That by God's grace and through faith in Jesus Christ alone, not in what I did, but in what he did for me, and when I trust that, I stand before God sinless? That's the power of Christ's blood. It's amazing doctrine. I love it so much. It happened the moment I trusted Jesus as my Savior. Instantaneously. And there's, it's a legal proclamation. It's really cool. I hope you think it's as cool as I do. Well, there's another one here. It's tied right in there. It's called adoption. This is what Jesus is talking about. It happens the same thing. Instantaneously when you trust Christ. Not a legal declaration, a familial one. And it's a beautiful thing. But in my life, it's underappreciated often. It's minimized. I don't know why. Um, John says, we studied this a little while ago. First John 3, 1. Behold, what manner. He's saying, behold, it means check this out. Check this out. What manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the sons of God, and that is what we are. John says that in his gospel, John 1, 8. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Believe and receive. That's how you receive. You believe. You just trust. I don't have to work for it. And I get to be your son. I get to be declared righteous. This is crazy, but I don't always fully appreciate it. I don't always fully appropriate that relationship. We studied the prodigal son this morning in Sunday school, and it was just like, wow, that's what you did for me. I didn't deserve that at all, but you came running for me, and you grabbed me, and you brought me home, and you clothed me. You took off my nasty clothes and put on the righteous robes of Jesus Christ, pure and clean, and that's how I stand before you. I don't deserve it. Those who trust Christ alone for their salvation, God's our Father, and he wants us to recognize him such And he wants us to depend on him as such. He wants us to address him as such. I'm really trying to do this since I've been studying this week. Because I'm usually like, God, our Lord. And I'm like, Father. I want to start praying that way. Father. God, help me to start praying that way. Why do I struggle with it so much? And so I'm just giving you testimony here. It may be different in your life. Because I sin. I do. Because I don't feel worthy. And I'm not. All those are true. But here's the beautiful thing. Just like justification... The fact that I am God's child, do you know why I am? 
because Jesus is God's child. See, my sonship grows out of Christ's sonship. Is he worthy? Infinitely. We just sang it, right, this morning. <laughs> you alone are worthy. You alone are worthy. Yeah, he is. And it's so beautiful, this thing, because our earthly Christian fathers, we might have had some that went on home to their reward. I'm separated from my earthly Christian father right now. I can call him on the phone. But I'm separated from Heavenly Father. Have him all the time. We might have grown up in a home where you didn't have a good earthly father. You didn't even have a good earthly family. But when you come to Jesus Christ, look what you get. Look what you get. And not just here. You keep going. You move away. You're going to school like Autumn or Alyssa. You get new people here. New family. It's all over the world. This is what, this is what we have. The blood of Jesus Christ creating a family that's more powerful than blood. Even human blood. Blood of Christ. This is what he says. Here's my father, or here's my brothers, here's my mother. He's saying, behold. We said, behold your God. Behold your family, Christian. And he says, for whosoever will do the will of God. You're like, wait a minute. I thought it was by grace. thought it was by faith. You only need to turn to John 6, 28. The people there said, Jesus, we want to know. Tell us, what works do we need to do to do the works of God? And Jesus says this. This is the work of God, that you believe on him who he has sent. Believe on me. That's the work of God. So that's my question for you this morning. Have you ever done that? Have you ever received Jesus Christ as Savior? I mean, was there a, a point in time? Not, I always went to church. Mom and dad always brought me to church. That's great. Has there ever been a time when you turn from sin and you put all your trust in where you would be for eternity on the blood of Jesus Christ? You confessed your sin, said, I need you. I trust you alone. If not, do that today. We're going to have a time of invitation here in a moment. It's going to be a little different this morning. Um, I'm trying to finish because we've got a, a new song. It's not a new song. Don't get scared. It's as old as the hills. It's a really old song. All right? And you know the tune. It's love divine. Love's divine. All love's excelling. Which apparently in our hymnal, there's three different songs with that tune. But um, this one's just really good. It reminds, what will you do with Jesus? It answers that question. I think it's really pertinent and relevant even now in our nation. And so I want to sing all four verses because they're really good. But this is my question for you. So if you never received Christ, do it now. If you have questions, it's on the back of your bulletin. It's on our church website. But Christian, you who have, you who have done that, are you with him? Are you with him? Walking, talking, listening, never leaving aside like these disciples did. Or is there anything in your life, something came into your life where it distracted you from his presence? If so, confess, repent of it today, receive his mercy. Do it so you have power to reproduce. That's what you're supposed to be doing and you're being sent forth. Maybe you've underappreciated your relationship. Like me, you're like me. And I was like, yeah, I know he's my father. I know that's a Sunday school answer, but I just don't feel it. <laughs> I don't feel it. Won't you confess that too? Say, God, help me understand you better. If there's sin in my life, take it away. If there's sin that has been a barrier or an obstacle or there's somehow it's veiled what you've given to me in Jesus Christ, that you're my father forever, that you've given me this new family, God, help me understand that today. This is what Jesus' message has been the last three weeks. And he's really trying to separate religion from relationship with these Pharisees. And here's the thing. Religion... I heard this. I don't, I don't know who to attribute it to, but it's so powerful. Religion is, is like you getting in trouble. Do you ever get in trouble? Me and you do, right? <laughs> we get in trouble. And religion says, man, I messed up. My dad's going to kill me. 
And do you want a relationship with Jesus Christ says? Man, I messed up. I need to go talk to my dad because only he can help me. All right, so I have...